I just wanted to kind of uh, start off, I guess, like we already mentioned uh, this week. It's uh, wish you a happy Friendsgiving Day. Have you ever heard of that one? Uh, it's kind of a new or more recent tradition, I guess, with a lot of people. Uh, it catches on with the younger crowd. By younger, I mean anybody younger than me. So you can take it from there if you want. So there's a few holidays like that. And I just kind of put a few of them up there just for the fun of it. Uh, Hallmark, I don't know when Sweetest Day came about. It, when I, somehow, by the time I got back into the country from living in Brazil... That seemed to be a firmly established tradition. Maybe it was there earlier, and I just didn't have a girlfriend at the time and didn't know. Uh, but anyhow, you know where Sweetest Day came from? Hallmark cards. They invented it. Because I guess they weren't selling enough cards on Valentine's Day, so they came up with Sweetest Day. I looked into it a little bit more a few years ago, and, and even the tradition of Valentine's Day is basically... Some card, I don't know if it was Hallmark or somebody, kind of even got that going. Uh, but, oh man, I remember that when I was a little kid. Nothing better than filling out those little Valentine's Day cards and giving them to everybody in your class and saving the special one for that really pretty girl that actually never looked at you. But uh, we have all these different traditions, I guess, and the good ones are the old ones, right? Yeah, well, it depends on who you are. It's, it's just be sure. I have a, a, a preacher I know, and he says... All of his good gospel songs are old. And he said they're not just old. He says the writers of those songs are old and dead a long time. So, but uh, see, he doesn't care a lot for some of the new ones. But this idea of Friendsgiving Day, you know, apparently some people l really like this idea of Friendsgiving because Thanksgiving brings on just uh, a little too much pressure. You know, you have to uh, be able to cook pretty good. That's the... If you don't cook any other time, you know, when you go to the grocery store this time of year, it's probably the only time of year between now and Christmas where they start selling out of raw ingredients. Uh, pretty much, well, you know, the freezer section can take care of most people's grocery carts the rest of the year. But you have to learn how to do these things. The girl that cuts my hair, I'm taking a wild guess that she's in her mid-30s, and to this year, she's going to learn to cook her first turkey. And, and so... There's pressure that's brought on on Thanksgiving. And you have to put up with those relatives that you've avoided all year long. And so a lot of them like Friendsgiving instead because but my problem with Friendsgiving is you have not actually taken away the pressure. You've actually added to it because now you're going to have Friendsgiving and Thanksgiving. And so if you're trying to get out of all the high pressure of Thanksgiving, you didn't really do it. You just kind of added to it is all you really did because... You can't really get out of both, you know, you can't just choose one or the other. At least it doesn't seem that way. But one of the things that I always wonder about with, thank, with Friendsgiving, opposed to Thanksgiving, is you don't hear a lot of prayers, perhaps, at some of the Friendsgiving days celebrations. Now, maybe if your people involved are all church people, maybe you will. But it tends to be a meal where people just come together, they bring a dish, and they all just dig in. Enjoy the bounty because we deserve it. Thanksgiving, on the other hand, is an old tradition where, you know, and if, if you've managed to avoid Thanksgiving this year, uh, you haven't because our house is open and if you have no plans for Thanksgiving, just come. Do me a favor, let me know ahead of time so we'll get you a chair. I don't want to have to make you sit on the back porch. But uh, <laughs> you're invited to the house. Bring an appetite, bring loose, pant loose pants, you know, that don't fit too tight. And we'll put out the extra plates. 
But it's one time of the year where we can pause, or we're supposed to pause, and be thankful. And that alone is not as simple as you would think. And a matter of fact, one of the things you'll hear is these holiday seasons are rough on some people. You know, sometimes the roughest time of year is Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. When everybody else seems to be having the time of their life, for some people, it's a very difficult time. Because it's not always to be easy to be thankful. It's not always to be happy. Some people have experienced a loss. You know, and imagine this is be the first Thanksgiving where you're having Thanksgiving without... You put the name there. You know, I think about it myself. You know, how many years it's been since my mom and my dad have both sat down with us at the Thanksgiving meal. So it's not always easy. Um, some people have, are experiencing hard times. Maybe they just lost a job. It, it's amazing how often layoffs take place at this time of year. You know, I don't know what would the good be, be the good time of year to have layoffs, but well, Christmas just doesn't seem like one of them. About the time you have your credit card maxed to the, you know, maxed to the max, I guess you'd say, <coughs> then all of a sudden you lose the job. Or maybe there's some kind of a health issue going on in your family. Maybe there's some kind of strife going on in the family. But the reality is that we live in a very plush American culture. And we are the land of plenty. And if you watch the news enough, what's interesting is a lot of people in this nation where we have the most seem to be some of the most miserable people, or the complaining people. And... You know, when I evaluate my life, I don't compare it to you if you're poorer than I am. I will compare my life to you if you are richer than I am. And so there's a small percentage of people that are better off than I am in this world. Now, maybe in Claremont County, there's a ton of them. But in, in, in the percentage of the world in general, it's a very small percentage that's better off than Mark. Billions are worse off than anyone in this room. Anyone in this room. Billions are worse off. We have a good life here, and we have more than most people would ever have imagined in any part of the world or in the past. Just think about it. Would you rather be who you are, or would you rather be King Henry VIII? I prefer Mark Kerfman for a whole lot of reasons. One is indoor plumbing. Amen. <laughs> King Henry didn't have that. Uh, he had somebody to take care of the... You know, but anyhow, we have it so good. And the reality, though, when you think about Thanksgiving, and when you think about the Thanksgiving attitude, it is really a choice that will transcend the reality that you live in. So, you know, and I'm not talking about whether you should be delusional or not. That's not the idea, or whether you should ignore reality. But it's amazing that two people can come from two different perspectives at the exact same reality and see different things. One sees the blessing and the other one only sees the bad. You know, I've, you ever ask me about my optimist and pessimist joke? I'll tell you about it, but not today. Uh, but I'll give you a good example. We lived in Rio de Janeiro for five years. At the time we were there, there were about 7 million people. That's up to about 9 million people today. Most people are poor beyond what you would ever think is tolerable. Yet every Sunday, it's the poor that fill the churches, singing praises, lifting up their hands to God in joy, while the rich people 
may not be complaining so much, but they're not all that thankful. They're down at the beach, the fine restaurants, enjoying life and thanking no one. That's the experience that we kind of saw when we were there for five years. My parents, as a matter of fact, came down to visit and they fell in love with the place. Other people would come to visit and all they could see was the problems. All they could see was, you know, what's not right, what's not good, what should be better. My favorite one is when somebody comes to a foreign country and says, well, nobody speaks English here. Well, you know, they probably say that when they go to Scotland, too. I don't, I don't know, but anyhow, what's wrong with these people? So I went to my Bible and I looked up the word Thanksgivings, or like uh, what Don was talking about this morning. And I found a surprise. A lot of verses in the Old Testament in particular, when you see the actual combination of Thanksgiving, not just thanks, they deal with sacrifices and offerings that are given to God to express one's thanksgiving. It wasn't just a prayer or word of remembrance that they had, but they actually brought sacrifices to the tabernacle or later on to the temple to express one's thanks to God. In other words, thanksgiving was more than a feeling or an expression. Thanksgiving chose to give a sacrifice to God as proof of the thanksgiving. These are just a few of the verses here that talk about that. With the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving, he shall present his offering. Uh, next one over in Leviticus again. When you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that, it will be, so that you may be accepted. <clears throat> and again in Psalms, they talk about offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving and paying one's vows. Psalm 107, let them give Thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonderful and his wonders to the sons of men. And let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. How often do we thank somebody? And you think about it. You give thanks to somebody for something they've done for you, and you give them a gift. You ever do that? I hope you have. You know, so that's it's not as a payment of, of services received. That's called a bill. But they do something for you, and you appreciate it so much, you know, you drop them off a pie or a cake or a lasagna. Or maybe you give them a gift card or something like that. You offer them a gift of thanksgiving. In this case, Israel had a tradition of when they would give thanks to God, they would actually bring a sacrifice to the temple or to the tabernacle. The apostles preach in Jerusalem about the victorious Messiah who rose from the dead and who forgives our sins. And they were asked to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And then it's kind of interesting because when they start doing that and they start preaching the gospel, uh, they call in the apostles and they beat them and charge them and they say, don't you talk about that man anymore. And they let him go. And look at the last part. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were happy and rejoicing because they got a beating. They were thankful. Later on, you'll read, you know, the apostle takes and he writes to the church and he, he says this to them. He says, so that do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things 
and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even to God the Father. You know, it's, it's interesting. The idea of Thanksgiving, you know, it, it's a warm thought. When life is where we want it to be and what it, we want to expect it to be, then we give thanks. At least I hope you do. But if you notice what Paul says in this verse here, it's more than saying, well, you know, I am so happy I'm going to give thanks. He basically gives them a command to give thanks. He says, what you have to do, and here's my instruction to you, church in, in Ephesus or church in Claremont County, always give thanks for all things in the name of the Lord. So you think about it, and how, how does that actually turn out in, in the experience in the New Testament? Well, we have the apostles. They go to Philippi, and I always like the story of Philippi because if you've ever done mission, missionary work, you feel like a Philippi missionary most of the time, even though it works out really good eventually. But Paul, it's his first big break. The Holy Spirit has said, this is where you're going. You know, the Macedonian call, because he tried to go several other places, and God wasn't having any of it. So he finally gets to go to Philippi. This is where God directed him. He goes there, and the only crowd he can drum up is a group of women down at the river. And he baptizes Lydia and whoever else is in her household. And then he goes on preaching and has zero success, as far as we're told. And I get to go home and, you know, how'd it go today? You know, write a newsletter. How many baptisms did you get this week? You know, send that letter back to Jerusalem. Well, we got some women down at the river, but since then it's been pretty uh, sparse. And then you have this girl who follows you, irritating you wherever you go, saying, these are preachers of the most high God, and they're just an irritant. Well, when he casts the demon out of the girl, because that's what was causing that, uh, he gets thrown in jail. Before getting thrown in jail with Silas, they get a beating. When they get the beating, they go in, they put them in jail. The jailer puts them into the interlocking, you know, the inner parts of the jail and puts their feet in stocks. That was meant to be extremely uncomfortable. You ever sit in one position without moving? You know, and imagine this. They, they, you start out with an uncomfortable position and you can't move. Instead of sitting there and whining and crying, they start singing. And it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I don't know what songs they were singing. I'll tell you one I don't think they were singing. Nobody knows the trouble. And that's, I don't think that's the song they were singing. They're singing praise. They're singing glory to God. And about that time, there's an earthquake. And after they stop the jailer from killing himself, because, you know, if all the prisoners escape, he gets their, you know, you, you get out the calculator, all these prisoners, this is their punishment, I get it all, I think I'll kill myself. They stop the man, because nobody did escape, and they preach to him, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, those must have been some powerful songs they were singing. They chose to be not just faithful, but thankful in one of the most dire circumstances you could ever imagine. On the other hand, though, when you look at our world and the way people are today, 
there's the other side. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, we go to there to see all the nasties that people can imagine and, and accomplish and practice. When you, when you read Romans chapter 1, it's an ugly chapter of what man can actually conspire to do. But here's how it starts. It starts with thankless people. And Paul writes there, he says, For even though they know God, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. At that point, what you really need to do is keep reading the book. Go ahead and, and read the rest of that chapter and see what happens to a society where they fail to be thankful. And it's not because they didn't even know about God. He says, he says they knew that there's a God out there. You know, it's logical. He goes, but they didn't honor him that way. And they, became, they did not give thanks, but they became futile. See how depraved, thankless people can become. And sometimes what it's interesting to do is read Romans chapter 1 and then go to, you know, the electronic information that you have on your computer and make a comparison. See what social media is like in our world today compared to what social media was like in Romans chapter 1. Walk down the street, go to, you know, just the city hall or wherever it might be and see what's going on. It's amazing how thanklessness destroys lives. Yet what we're told repeatedly throughout God's word, especially, in, well, no, I, I don't say especially in the New Testament because I'm thinking of all those passages in the Psalms. They just tell you what to do. Be thankful. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. You choose that emotion. You don't wait for it to come to you. You make the choice of which way you're going to live your life. You look at your life, and it's amazing how people with so much less than you are thankful, and people with so much more than you sometimes are the most miserable people you'll ever meet. <laughs> I know sometimes we think about that. We say, well, I'd sure like to have some of their misery. Just put it in my bank account. But the reality is you will see that people, rich or poor, make the choice of what matters, what they value, what's important, and whether or not they're going to be thankful or not. Book I read, oh, probably when I was in high school. Story of Cory Ten Boom, a Dutch Christian. She's arrested by the Nazis along with her father and her sister Betsy. Uh, her father and her brother are sent to a men's concentration camp. Uh, the father dies in that concentration camp. Her and her sister Betsy are sent to another one where it's all women. And while they're in Ravensbrück concentration camp, it's horrible. You can imagine the story of being in, in a concentration camp. And all they had done, their crime, was they tried to save Jews from going to concentration camps. They, they, they had, a, they had a, a false wall in their house in the upper floor where they would hide entire families of Jews in case the, you know, the officials came. Now, eventually they're caught. They're sent to the prison camps. It's so interesting as Corey is the one who writes the story later on. Betsy is the spiritual one. Betsy is the one who is always looking for God, always a woman of faith, always encouraging people. 
They suffer humiliation, they suffer hunger, they suffer physical torture. People are dying of diseases, people are dying of starvation, people are being... You can think of the horror that you could do to a woman, it's taking place at this concentration camp. But Betsy, being the more spiritual one, she led worship service all the time. When everybody was alone and they're all in there, there together, she would lead worship service and prayer in the camp. Betsy had a New Testament she somehow kept from the guards and she kept secret. And Betsy is reading through and she got to that verse we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, be thankful for everything. And Corey stopped and said to her sister Betsy, she goes, for the lice? You want me to be thankful for the lice? They were infested with lice. Betsy thought about it. She goes, well, it says be thankful for all things and in all things. So, yes, we will thank God for the lice. Corey says, no, I'm not thanking God for lice. Later, the guards were called to do an inspection of the barracks. But because of the lice infestation, they refused to go in and inspect them. And that's the only reason they didn't find that New Testament. They didn't lose their New Testament. is because all those women were infested with lice. So when it's all said and done, and later on when Corey writes the book, she says, thank God for the lice. You see, it's a choice of the heart. Thanksgiving is the choice of what we value, what we want. It's what you focus on. Thanksgiving is a choice of the values. And hopefully those are values that reach all the way to eternity. Thanksgiving is not just an emotion. Thanksgiving is a way of life and it's one that you have decided to take. And you can decide. You can look at the circumstances and choose to be thankful. And when you read God's word, thanksgiving should be more than just words that come out of your mouth or a feeling in your heart. Thanksgiving repeatedly in scripture is shown in terms of what you offer to God. It will talk about your money, it'll talk about your time, it'll talk about how you serve or minister to other people. Thanksgiving touches the aspect of pride. Thanksgiving is seen in acts of love. And so finally, we will go with Paul. As Paul goes through all these different things in 2 Corinthians, and he, he keeps trying to talk to the Christians. And, and 2 Corinthians, if you remember right, he's trying to win them back by heart. Now, they all believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and they all claim to be Christians, but there's this breakdown of relationships that's taking place in 2 Corinthians between Paul the Apostle and the people of Corinth, and he's been trying the entire letter to win them back by showing them, he goes, everything I do, I do for you. Everything I sacrifice, I sacrifice for you, because everything I do honors God, and it honors the gift of salvation. So finally, his words there to the Corinthians is thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This week is everybody's going to have turkey or ham or something. If you're not, like I said, we got we got chairs, we got tables, we got card tables if we need them. Come on over. And you're going to be around friends and you're going to be around family. I don't care if you do a Friends Day and a Thanksgiving Day, that's up to you. You know, uh, but we'll be thankful. And we'll share meals. And I hope there's a prayer offered at your table. And you think about all the things that you're thankful for. But above all, I think that you should thank God 
for his indescribable gift, that gift of salvation. But let that not be something that we just do once a year. Let us live with the gift of thanksgiving, with a heart of thanksgiving. And his indescribable gift is that when this life is over, hope is still here. Because we have a life and a hope that transcends the grave. And so we thank God that he gives us purpose, that he gives us meaning, that he gives us love, that he gives us forgiveness, and he gives us fellowship. And the unique thing about fellowship with God, it lasts for eternity. And if you have not obeyed his message, then I pray this morning that you do obey his message. I pray that you give your life to Christ. It takes surrender. It takes not exceptional gifts or abilities. It takes surrender. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. And choose change, repentance. Confess his name before men, and he will confess your name before God. Be baptized in the water. You're buried. You start again. You're buried. You die. You come up a new creature. And enter that fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father. Whatever you need, we ask you to come now as we stand and as we sing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, Jesus.